boy, he sure does have a lot of sex with Laura Dern in this movie. and welcome back to another episode of Uncaged. We are on day, I think, 15 at this point, and we are in the 90s, baby! I'm, I'm starting to think the days don't matter anymore. I don't think these numbers actually mean anything. Yeah, it's just like, okay, we've watched another Nick Cage film. I can't remember the last time I didn't, and looking ahead, well, that I'd try not to. I have to kind of remind myself every now and then that there are films out there without him in. I also, I know you mentioned a while ago, I watched a few nights ago a movie not starring him because I think we did a watch in the afternoon. Ooh, Benny 2 films. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look at me go. You can't stop this guy. I love, I just love cinema as a medium. It really, uh, I just love all the different nuances of cinema and that's why I decided to watch Blockers starring John Cena because I really appreciate... <laughs> Just to really appreciate the ebbs and the flows of, you know, what the medium can bring across and how artistic it can really be. So how does that work if you can't see him? You're on edge constantly <laughs> because I think it might have been the same day we watched Moonstruck where I okay. could be wrong, but we had to we had to wait a while to finally see some cage in that. Uh, so I guess that had got ingrained into my head, though I must be honest, I don't know at this point if I'm just suffering Stockholm Syndrome, but I really missed not seeing him. I got to the end of that film and couldn't help but think, could have been better with some cage in it. Yeah, I'm starting to feel the more of this you watch, the more it becomes, you, you sort of normalise it. Mm. So the less his kind of, and we're going to get into this in this film here because there's a lot of kind of uh, out of the blue shrieking yes that you've just sort of become accustomed to so now when I watch people act in what's probably seen as a more kind of generic and normal traditional uh, yeah traditional acting I watch that now and I just think what's the point boring yeah with a cage film I've come to learn over this past fortnight he always keeps you on edge. Like, he is always in the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, and he could swerve off the road at any moment. So, you know, make sure you're wearing your seatbelt. But obviously, sometimes that won't be enough for where he's going to take you. I think that's about as far as I can take that metaphor. Let's go on to discuss... Yeah, I think that metaphor is dead. Let's go on to this film. <laughs> Let's go on to discuss 1990s Wild at Heart. Daniel, you were just a tiny little young man when this was coming out. I was just I was, uh, a speck in my father's sack. Oh, what a lovely thought. Mm. That's exactly what I'd be thinking at two years old as well. I wonder where Ben is right now. <laughs> Not long now. <laughs> Come on, Ben. Out the scrote. But Nicholas, he was out there shagging the life out of Laura Dern. Yeah, a lot. That's the majority of this film. One of the top <laughs> notes I have in this is... Boy, he sure does have a lot of sex with Laura Dern in this movie. <laughs> so, straight off the bat... Let's go in on the fact that this is a David Lynch film. Yeah. And I I think I missed that in the credits and had to look it up, like, for some interest, like, because there's no way it's not. Of course, this is about as Lynchian as it gets. Yeah, I think I looked into it because of the year, obviously, this is midway. I believe you took it, must have taken a break during or between the two series of Twin Peaks yeah. to make this. Very interesting. I didn't know he had that time on his hands. It really, really shows. This is difficult to follow but absolutely captivating at the same time. Yeah, Wild at Heart is a very good film that I was completely unaware of from doing the show for a couple of weeks now and talking about it on social media. This is one of the films, alongside some of the classics you'd expect, one of the films most people messaged me to say, 
oh, let me know when you're doing this one. I think that movie's great. Or, oh, you've reminded me of this film. I need to go check it out again. And I was completely unaware of it. The only vague gist I had from accidentally seeing a very short clip online is I was under the impression that, and I wasn't a mile off, Nick Cage was playing an Elvis impersonator. I know you kind of uh, danced around that one yesterday. Because I went into this completely blind. I My friends haven't given me the courtesy heads up for anything other than... The messages I got when I told people I was going to do this were along the lines of Wicker Man, LOL, and things like that. There was no, oh, you're going to enjoy this when this comes up. It was it was more gutted. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> I got a lot of comments recommending films, but the majority were just people saying, why? Yeah, yeah, that's... And and, and I I kind of reflect that response back at, back at the world. Yeah. Why not? Got to do something. You know, you've got nothing to do. Yeah. So why not join us, join Cage? Your only option is to come along on this journey with us or, you know, or ignore us completely and leave us to our own strange devices. But hey, that's probably <laughs> not very good uh, radio, so to speak, to encourage people to do opposite. Well, speaking of strange devices, Ben. <laughs> okay. Why don't you give us a, a little brief synopsis of this one? So the film opens up and I really liked straight off the back of the beginning of this film immediately your expectations of Nick Cage and the characters he plays are subverted. Within the first minute of the film, he has been accused with trying to have sex with his girlfriend's mum. A guy has pulled a knife on him and said he's going to kill him. And then Nick Cage has beaten the guy to death with his bare hands in a public place. That's probably the strongest entrance of a Cage character we've had to date. Even more so than Ronnie screaming at his hand, and I did not think that was going to happen anytime soon. No, this this was really good. I, I mean, it's a Lynch film, so you kind of expect this kind of pacing, but this it kind of catches you off guard and then just kind of leaves you hooked for the majority of the film. Before Nicolas Cage has even delivered his first line of dialogue, he's caved in the back of a man's skull with his fist and lit a cigarette. Whoa. <laughs> And he's not giving the cigarette to any lizards this time, which is a real a real thumbs up from my camp here. Yeah, likewise. He learnt his lesson. We've just had uh, a double bill of absolute stinkers from Nick, and he's really brought it back with this one. This, i got to say, is one of my favourite performances. Totally. He was, yeah, he was very, very generous this evening uh, and treated us to, yeah, a great film, a great performance, a very measured, contained performance. But we'll get to that after I finish running through the gist of the story. So all of this action I just said happens within, honestly, the first three minutes or so. He goes to prison, happens a lot with uh, the kind of guys he plays. He gets out of prison. Him and Laura Dern are going on a big road trip just to get away from it all because they are in love. Less than five minutes into this film, he is with within Laura Dern which I thought the film was going to be leading up to, but no, they crack on. As we said earlier, they have a lot of sex in this film. Yeah, you're never really any more than about four to five minutes away from a strange Nicolas Cage sex scene in this. Yeah, and like, (laughs) it's only noteworthy because of the frequency in which they come in. Pardon the pun there. Yeah, it it was quite something, but that's probably the last time I'll talk about that. Anyway, the movie goes on that the two go on a road trip. They have all sorts of estranged encounters along the way. At its core, the film is sort of about their relationship and the turbulence around it. But it's also sort of a road trip movie. Laura Dern's character's mother puts out a hit on Nick Cage. Now I'm trying to describe what happened in this film and really just clicking quite how David Lynch it was. I mean, yeah, it was very... All of the story gets set up in the first kind of maybe like eight to 12 minutes. 
and then it just seems to be a free for all. There's a lot of use of flashback, almost like dream sequences. I think you could do a very effective drinking game for every time they reference the Wizard of Oz during this. Yeah, there's a lot. I think you could have a big old night there. Nick Cage is playing a character called Sailor Ripley in this, who just off the bat, I'd like to say, has some of the sweetest style of any of the characters he's had so far through 90% of the sequences he's in in this film. Sailor is wearing a snakeskin jacket. I would like to drop on you immediately. I'm going to do a, a double, a kind of double viewing here of little segments for you, starting off with a bit of Quizzless Cage. Oh, yes, please. Okay, so if when when Nicolas Cage's character Sailor Ripley here describes his jacket, oh yes, he refers to it as representing his individuality, his belief, and what else, Ben? I think he goes on to say that, and this is my favourite line, and they even said use it twice in the film because it's so brilliant and if I thought you'd pick up on this if it is not the intro to this exact podcast and you've just heard it I will eat my hat he gets out of prison Laura and collects him in a cool convertible and he goes my snakeskin jacket and then he goes on to say did I ever tell you this jacket is a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom that's exactly it yeah what a cool thing to say <laughs> and to double that back Okay, I'm back to back here with a cage fact for you. Oh, yes, please. That is Nick Cage's own jacket that he shoehorned into the film. I shit you not, I could have guessed that. Yeah, I know. Honestly, <laughs> it's, it's, it's brilliant, it's isn't it? It's him all over that he would just have this sick jacket and him pull David Lynch aside and be like, hey, I know you're this really prolific director. I'm really grateful to be in your film, but look at my cool ass jacket. I kind of thought that it was a, uh, he's just like, yeah, okay, wear the jacket. And Nick's kind of come up with this line and, it's, and he's just like, I'm going to get it in this film somewhere. Yeah. So I think every scene at some point, he's probably cut out from like him actually repeating those bits. Uh, David, did I ever tell you that this jacket is actually a symbol of my individuality <laughs> and a belief in my personal freedom? I love that it's in the film twice it's so great <laughs> it's that good a lie like in this film we get to see far and away the best nick cage dancing we've had we've been treated a fair few times but good god we see that man open up the mosh pit in a way i never thought possible oh my god probably my favorite moment is on the side of the road when uh good golly oh yeah he's doing they put some some sort of fresh metal on right back at you before we do this uh i'll go throw a round of quizzless cage back your exact way oh god here we go go on can you tell me the name of the thrash metal band nick cage's character is obsessed with the one he's obsessed with is in the one that he um he takes lord down to see uh yeah it's the same same song by the same band at the concert and on the radio later in the film oh god yeah i do know this you got it, man. Now, go on, Ben. Nicholas treats Laura Dern to a trip to a live thrash metal concert, and the two of them tear it up on the dance floor. It is radical. There's high kicks, there's power slides, there's sexual gyrations of the hips. Uh, the band is playing and absolutely tearing up. Just as they start singing, Nicholas Cage spies this other greasy punk guy dancing up on Laura Dern. He raises his hand and snaps his fingers, and the band stops playing immediately. Everyone in the room is silent, watching at him lay this other punk guy out a bit with his physical strength but mainly with his words straight after that he turns to the band and says you guys know him by big e of course meaning elvis <laughs> presley who of course he later goes on to marry the daughter of whatever oh i didn't i didn't even clock that part of uh, the cage conspiracy but that's great outrageous he also had a dog named elvis in one of the other earlier films but anyway he's leaving breadcrumb trails i'm not even surprised at this point 
the band immediately go into this beautiful bluesy refrain, throw the microphone down to Nicolas Cage as he starts singing Elvis Presley's song. And boy, I've said it before and I will say it again. I love to watch this man sing. He has... So I think it's just come to me, mate. Go on. Is it? I, I know it starts with power. Power mad! That's the one. Power mad. Of course it is, yeah. So sorry, sorry to uh, to to cut you off there, but I th- I thought I was going to lose it for a second. I was padding time for you there. Yeah, th- there's an amazing <laughs> scene there, and I was going slightly off track, but this is only noteworthy because later on, when Nicholas and Laura are driving along down the highway, there Laura's getting fed up with all the bad news on the radio all the time. She pulls the car over to the side of the road, gets out in a screaming tantrum, and shouts back at him, "Find me some music on the radio. I can't stand it anymore." Nick's turning the dial, he's surfing the channels, he lands on the exact same band on the radio playing the same song from the concert. Oh, it's so good. And just screams excitedly, Power Man! And it is so (laughs) sick. And then, you probably also noticed, does the sickest stunt. The man goes from being asleep in the back of the car into convertible. He puts his hands on the side. He does a somersault springing from his hands back onto his feet and immediately starts moshing in the desert, high kicking and whipping up the dust. Loads of high kicking, does does some air punching, everything you'd want to see from here. One of my favourite uh, moves as well is when they're seeing Power Mad in a club at the first time, and uh, as the camera pans across, there's a guy just crawl moshing. Yeah, he literally <laughs> just crawls across whilst headbanging, and it's like, what's going on? This is this is fantastic. Terrific scene. It puts such a big smile on my face because the first half is brilliant. Seeing Nick Cage finally at a puncture. Well, I thought this was going to be like a, I thought this was going to be a one off from the from the music and. Originally, after Nick Cage gets attacked with a knife and the fight scene starts, we just get treated to some immediate thrash metal riffs. And that's just recurring throughout the whole film. Yeah, it's sort of a, uh, what's the word you'd use? A motif. It's sort of a repeating motif throughout to like turn your attention. I mean, it's it's lynched by numbers that he uses music as well as visuals to tie you back to scenes. And it works wonderfully. But it was it was so good. Like I really enjoy. I just loved watching Nick Cage uh, rock out. I loved watching him headbang and punch the air and kick the air and do somersaults to thrash metal music. Whilst whilst we're on the uh, the topic of music within this film, did you notice there's the flashback to Laura Dern's uncle, who's not a great guy. No, not a great. But guy. Um, he is kind of killed off very early on in a flashback. Um, yeah, great, fantastic. But did you notice that the uh, so his. I, I believe he goes somewhere in Florida or something. Was he? Either way, he's away on a on a vacation, and it just shows that he had a car accident. But then they show it the car kind of just going off the side of a cliff, rolling down and then exploding. Yeah, almost exactly the same as in that Guns and Roses video. <laughs> to the point that I was just like, "This is going to pan up, and Slash is going to be playing a mean solo at the top of this cliff." <laughs> Slash got hired in as a hitman to take out a creepy <laughs> uncle. Just before we close out on the music section of this, I think that this is where Nick Cage realised that heavy metal he could use to curb his rage. And I think he there are very few moments where he pops his top in this and goes absolutely crazy. But because every time he's about to, heavy metal music plays and he can release it in a positive, fun, light-hearted way. 
Hmm. Love to see it. There's, there is still a couple of absolutely great ones where he just pops off for no reason. And we will definitely come back to them after we introduce a certain someone in this. But had a couple couple other things to add. Well, well, whilst we're on the topic of music, I want to throw another smaller cage fact to you. Yes, uh, please. All of the singing scenes, both in the club and at the end, are both actually performed by Nick Cage himself. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Like It's the strongest vocal performance we've had from him because I know that he did his own singing in... Peggy Sue. When he's in the acapella group. Was nowhere near as strong as all of a sudden his voice is in this. So uh, The guy could have gone on to be a really talented successful singer but obviously he had so many family ties in the film world he'd be a fool not to take it up but I like that he's managed to blend the two fairly seamlessly I genuinely adore the tone of his voice I, I love watching a man sing and perform it was really really great in this um, one thing he didn't learn to do still can't click in time no oh, of course yeah it goes without saying no there was still a couple of moments that were just completely out that I just thought oh, <laughs> but he's that much of a leader the, the music has to keep up with him not the other way around you know <laughs> it's jazz it's jazz baby one other thing i wanted to say it's hardly a surprise at this point but the tattoo's back it's still the same character come on guys yeah. buy into this with me I, I i really do think that this is now a shared character I, he's either learning do you remember the old jet lee film the one no but go on I, it's not a very memorable film other than the soundtrack just being covered in is around the era when new metal was cool and the soundtrack was all like spine shank and disturbed you, you would have loved it and obviously it's all martial arts fantastic yeah but there's like a theme in there where he's traveling from universe to universe to kill each version of himself and then he absorbs them and their power Whoa. and i wonder if that's akin to what nick cage has been able to do here where every character that he then be- he wait, takes over, wait, he absorbs more of that character. Wait, and we keep seeing those come out. Wait, you know his tomb? The pyramid. You know what it says in Latin on his tomb? Uh, yes. <laughs> Everything from one. There we go. Bruv. <laughs> and we know now that um, there's still not much uh, released about his film coming up this year of Jiu-Jitsu, but could we see him uh, with oh, Jet Li? my... God. Like I said, he's mastered traveling through time and defeating version of himself. And we know that he's got a great judo throw. In this movie, he's going to travel through space and defeat versions of his alien self with jujitsu. God, it's going to be good. It could be the greatest film of all time. And then when he is finally the one true cage, he is going to release the film about himself, starring himself as himself. I feel like if he wasn't already represented, we would be the perfect candidates for that job right now. So I feel like we've just scored him his best movie today. <laughs> he saw this all coming, I'm telling you. But anyway, <laughs> a moment that really filled my heart with joy and felt like a really big win for Nick. And quite frankly, for us at this point, was a known rival Crispin Glover also appears in this film. Oh, yes. As Laura's cousin, Dell. Now, Dell was having a hard old time with a few things, but what I would like to say, and again, Nick Cage knew it was coming, so before it even happened, asserted his dominance, Crispin Glover's character put a cockroach on his anus. Yeah, um, just completely ridiculous, Nick isn't it? Nick Cage ate three cockroaches to assert his dominance. He has finally defeated his nemesis in this film, and I cannot be more happy for him. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't work together again. Yeah, that's I, it. I feel like this is it. Crispin's had plenty of chances to kind of come back for, but he's he's been defeated at every every single step of the journey by a man described by Laura Dern as uh, having the sweetest cock. <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to go there, but we, we're not going to gloss over that. Yeah, she goes into great detail about the voice that Nicolas Cage's penis speaks to her in. Yeah, yeesh. 
it's a bit of a weird scene. My, my other favourite bit of dialogue on there is when uh, Nick Cage's character describes himself as having a boner with a capital O. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the letter you emphasise. I had to pause it and try and work out how you... I've got a boner. <laughs> but yeah, it's great. i got a couple other things before we go on to talk about one of the greatest roles in this. But before that, one of the roles, one of the notes I wrote down here just says banana hammock. Yeah. Because at one point we see Nicolas Cage take off all of his clothes and he's just in this tiny little man thong and then we see a nice low angle of him getting into bed and uh, wow. It was a lot. I blushed. <laughs> it was a lot. Did you hear it talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> when we watched Moonstruck we noted and this was my first inkling of quite the role Nicholas is playing in my life at this point. It was about 25 minutes before we saw Nicholas on screen. He makes you wait. It was a real waiting game especially as that's you know the main reason I love the film but it was the main reason I was watching it the reason I was watching it. I mean, you know, we're all big Cher fans here. There's no, there's no shame in that. Absolutely. But we're here for the cage. Looking at the opening credits of this film, I saw a certain someone come along <laughs> who later down the line, it would turn out, pinched a role from Nicolas Cage. I'm talking about none other than Mr. Willem Dafoe features in this film. Of course, he goes on to be the Green Goblin. Nicolas Cage came very close to that. What could have been? It's still the greatest upset in the whole of uh, cinema history that we could have had Cage as the Green Goblin. Willem Dafoe is in this film and I was so excited to see him. He's obviously fantastic and everything he's in and what kind of role he is. I think it's probably about a good 70 minutes before he appears. Yeah, but what an entrance he makes and what a stamp on the film he has. Those teeth are just horrible. It's honestly, I found him difficult to look at. Interestingly, for once... Our Nicky isn't playing the fucking worst guy in the world in this. Willem Dafoe is. Yeah. <laughs> His character is awful. Every minute he's on screen, I felt disgusted and uncomfortable and so unsure of what he was going to do next. And it was such a great performance. So there is a moment uh, leading on from what you say about him being the worst where he barges in on Laura Dern's uh, that kind of apartment that the, her and Nick Cage's character are sharing, uh, needing to use the toilet. Uh, he well, he actually refers to saying that he needs to he it, piss on her head. If he can piss piss in your head, and then has to clarify that by head he means toilet and not piss all over her face. <laughs> Already a strange introduction. Yikes! Yeah, big yikes. Um, it turns out then he goes into the bathroom, doesn't close the door, and has a big old waz. Um, I read that this is actually Willem Dafoe urinating into the toilet. He, he drunk loads of bottled water beforehand and just really needed to go later to find out that the toilet was a prop toilet <laughs> and uh, a crew member then had to clean all the piss out oh of it oh my god so what's working in Hollywood like <laughs> yeah I cleaned up Willem Dafoe's Gee. piss and Nick Cage thinks he's method yeah <laughs> he's like yeah well I just did a shit in the car no one asked you to do that Nick <laughs> He is an awful motherfucker in this, Willem Dafoe's character. Yeah, he's just just terrible. Just the worst guy. He comes into the story by convincing Nick Cage's character, Sailor, to join him in a bank robbery, but he's sort of stitching him up because he wants, he wants to kill him there. Uh, he manages to talk him into it, but my main takeaway from the bank robbery scene that happens there is Willem Dafoe's face is way too freaky and recognisable to get away with putting a <laughs> pair of tights on and you go, who could that be? Like, you could spot him from the moon. The pair of them going into a 
stereotypes. I mean, it doesn't help that they're obviously very recognisable in the cinema world. Yes. But they both both have very exaggerated facial features. <laughs> oh, especially Willem Dafoe. Jesus Christ. He is horrifying. Yeah, it's one of the most terrifying roles <laughs> in which that's not supposed to be scary. The ultimate payoff of that is, um, obviously, Willem Dafoe is actually stitching up Nick Cage's character, Sailor. Uh, Sailor manages to break away, realises there's already a policeman there, dives to the floor. So, obviously, he's, he's unarmed. That's dive. Yeah, incredible dive. <laughs> he gets a gun pointed at him, goes to dive out the way, but flies about two foot and just lands face down on the floor. He doesn't dive behind anything. He doesn't dive out of the way of anything. Just dives onto his face. It was really, really, really funny. Have you ever seen from the original uh, Friday 13th film with Kevin Bacon where Kevin Bacon tries to dive in the lake? Uh, yeah. I- this is, it, it's, it's not something that's like actually part of the story but there's uh, a moment where he runs down the pier to go and play with his powers and everything and he dives in the lake and they've kept it in the film but it's the worst dive you'll ever see and it reminded me of that where he just (laughs) kind of like just kind of falls and belly flops into the water it's like they did one take and they were like that'll do I, I believe you can do a YouTube search for this for just Kevin Bacon can't dive and you'll see exactly what I mean <laughs> but uh, yeah that's what it reminded me of uh, he dives to the floor uh, and then kind of just like you know he's he's unarmed so he stays there um when the policeman sees Willem Dafoe's character come out already with a shotgun, obviously just shoots him, and then Willem Dafoe's character somewhat accidentally blows his own head off with the shotgun. Gosh, that was gory. What on earth? <laughs> I mean, again, I'm well aware that we're watching a David Lynch film here, but this is, this film really goes all in. I think that's about all I've got to say for this film. I really enjoyed it. It was really romantic in the end. There's some really great moments. I loved the final credits where it's just Nick Cage singing close to Laura Dern. It's one long shot of him singing Lovely Tender right into her eyes and the camera's just slowly rotating around them while they slow dance on the bonnet of a car in traffic after he's just run across the top of him in a snakeskin jacket to get to her. How how much of that moment reminded you of a really shitty Crocodile Dundee? (laughs) Where instead of walking across the people's heads in the subway... Yeah, Crocolus Cage runs across the top of all these cars. It's just incredible. A genuinely really sweet ending and one of the most likeable characters Cage has played, if I'm if I'm being completely honest. He's one of those guys where he's clearly not completely a good guy, but he is lovable. But at the end, he, he, has, he makes the decision to leave Laura Dern and their son that he's just met for the first time because he realises he's a bad guy and he's no good for them. Then he gets into a fight and he finally, uh, we've all been waiting for it, finally does a slur against the gays, am I right? Yeah. There we God. are. That's all boxes ticked. Nick Cage prejudice bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness me. It only took two weeks to get them all ticked off. Yep. That's the last letter and cancelled. <laughs> yeah. Cancelled. See you later. Just made it into the 90s in time. <laughs> Hopefully that's the last of the slurs. Oh, speaking of the bad things you did in this film, I would love to hear you be nice to Nicky. Um, I'm going to bring back to what I already kind of touched on earlier and that his singing in this really is it's really is great. I would I would listen to that normally and not have. I had to look it up afterwards because I, I when I first heard him singing, I was like, oh, they got someone else in to do the singing. And then when I looked it up, and it was like, oh, it is actually him doing it. It's incredible. Yes, I would have to say I would like to be nice to Nicky and and with this new info that that was actually his jacket, like. I just admire the stones on that guy to be like, look at this cool jacket. I want to show it to the world in your film, David. I'm interested to see how this pans out. It's time for... 
Cage bell! <laughs> we're, we're back down to a budget bell again, aren't we? Yeah, sorry, it's yeah. a wine glass. Oh. Maybe I hit the side of it. No, rubbish. I feel like this is going to be an interesting one. We've got our current reigning champion, Peter Lowe, the vampire kisser himself. Undisputed champion at this point. It's time for round one of cage match, where we have Peter Lowe facing down against... <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down. Okay. <laughs> the prep that we have done. Sailor Ripley. It's a cool name. That's not a category, but that's a pretty cool name. Round one, strength. Uh, we actually see him at this point go in on a fight scene and he looks hard as hell in this I mean listen I saw what Peter Lowe did to that lamp I heard what he did to that camera don't get me wrong minute into this film Nick Cage beats a man to death with his own fists yeah it's a strong 1-0 straight off the bat it's a strong very strength 1-0 round 2 likability oh Peter Lowe not liked by many people if any people like had that little glimmer where he gets excited about being a vampire but I've had a few days to think about that and I think that's just Stockholm Syndrome setting in if I'm honest I mean that character is really awful but it's just kind of played in a really fun way so I think it's difficult to kind of realise what you're watching mm. but really that that guy is the, he's a wrong one, Peter Lowe yeah so based on that alone that's 2-0 to Sailor Ripley which brings us to round 3 agility so we don't really see much from Either. We see Peter Lowe running down the street screaming, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. And it's going pretty quick. Yeah, I think that might be 2-1. Also, in terms of agility, he does kill someone and get away with it very easily. That's a slippery sausage right there. Yeah, just walks away, whereas, uh, I mean, Sailor Ripley immediately doesn't get away with it. He gets busted within the first five minutes of the <laughs> film. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a 2-1. I like that agility's t- sort of turned into, like, arrestability, really. We don't really see much of a... Uh of Cage's running ability so far. If it's anything akin to his rowing ability, I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> All right, round four. Appearance. Now, this could be tricky. I think this might be the decider. Because Peter Lowe, we've said it before, but I'll say it again, he puts those fangs in, and that is probably the biggest laugh I've had through this journey so far. Yeah, that's very true. I, I never really think of this as much of a, a, a laugh one, but yeah, I, th- I do think you're right. However... In his defence... That's the more the more iconic looks are in Vampire's Kiss, like the wide-eyed one that we all love from the memes, the, the teeth that he puts in, the him like kind of uh, shielding himself from the light. Uh, I don't know how Sailor Ripley... The, the jacket... In his defence, however, Sailor Ripley does have a snakeskin jacket, which, you know, that is his symbol of individuality and his belief in personal freedom. Ex- exactly all of those things. Not only does he have a look, there's a reason. And that's powerful <sighs> stuff. What I love about it is that I'm 90% sure that this is all Cage's reason, but we're never going to find out what it is. Yeah, that's just it. That's not written into the character. This is a really tricky one. Mm. Really on appearance, if we're being real, and like you said, just because of the strong iconography he he made from the role in it. Uh, Yeah, I don't think you can get away from Vampire's Kiss on this one. I think this is too all. I think Peter Lowe, his his character's... Uh, everything about the imagery from Vampire's Kiss is so iconic that I don't think anyone is going to be able to beat him until maybe Deadfall. It's going to be tough. And speaking of almost undefeatable categories, round five brings us to Cage. Oh, And it's it was over before it begun, really, wasn't it? Yeah. They, again, those are two untoppable... He's got the top trump in that film for those two categories on dial. Yeah, he's got, he's got the perfect ten there. So, listen, I'm afraid to say Peter Lowe moves on 
yet again, the vampire kisser has toppled our new best friend, Sailor Ripley. That's a real shame, because Sailor Ripley's character had a lot going for him. I'm genuinely pretty bummed out about that, because I really like that dude, and he was such a good singer. Yeah. <laughs> Look, singing doesn't win fights. Listen, I don't make the rules, I just think them up and write them down. <laughs> I did read on this that this film was the moment that he uh, managed to kind of use the work that he did on this film to get him to move himself away from method acting. Interesting. Did someone, do you think someone went, listen, dude, you went too far? Well, no, I think he was quoted in saying, I don't have the direct quote, but saying about how David Lynch's uh, constant, like spontaneous rewrites of the script and how odd all the other characters are, how it, it made him kind of become more playful with his acting. Interesting. And I think we're starting to see that in this because, but again, like, it, does this mean we're going to move away from from the Method Man? Because I, I was quite, uh, I, I, the very first thing that I wrote down from this is obviously we know that he's, you know, he's he's had that gap here, he's come back, we don't know what else he's done, but in those first couple of scenes that we see him in, he looks like he's off his nut. He is gurning. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so this is an interesting... So I was wondering, we know that he's had a pretty open relationship with uh, kind of hallucinogenics and drugs. I mean, the 80s were good for him. I presume he uh, sent them off in style. I, I would imagine if you're going in to uh, do a film with David Lynch, drugs are probably provided. Yeah, I think that was probably part payment. Yeah, no crocodiles this time. Yeah, just cocaine. Yeah. Just... <laughs> okay, that's all I got to say about this film. It was really good. Oh, I suppose a good way to round off talking about Wild at Heart. Daniel, is this a Cage classic? Ooh, this is right on the fence for me because I'm not sure... See, I, I am a David Lynch fan, so I'm aware of how I'm going to judge this higher than maybe I should, but I'm going to say yes. I think this is a Cage classic, but I'm also unsure of what I'm actually saying is that this is a Lynch classic. Yes, I, I feel more like this was a very good film that he was in. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I loved the character he played and he did a really good job, but I don't feel like it had to be Nick Cage that played it necessarily. I would say if you've got two hours in your hands, this film is well worth your time. It's super enjoyable. If you just want to get the very best of Nicky out of this, just look for the thrash metal mosh Elvis scene. Oh, God, it yeah. It was brilliant. It put such a big smile on my face. I found this to be a completely enjoyable film. It's definitely one that I'll be watching again. I think I do feel like I missed quite a lot with it being a Lynch film. I feel like it's the kind of thing that the more you rewatch it, the more you'll be able to pick out. Obviously, there's like, like you kind of touched on, so many different references to The Wizard of Oz. And I feel like there was probably more of an underlying theme than what I realised on the first watch but I'd happily go back I enjoyed it that much tomorrow we are moving on to watch Firebirds which I don't know anything about but I believe it has something to do with planes well yeah this is the week that we know nothing of really until we hit Red Rock West that's going to be completely right we are in the belly of Mystery Week at the moment. Yeah, I've uh, I've just opened this up and it looks like it is to do with helicopters. So you were close. If I know our Nicky, he was thinking, I'd like to learn to fly a helicopter and get paid for it. So I'm going to read you the very brief sentence synopsis that we've got for this one. And this is a... Okay. Elite Apache helicopter pilots are tasked with destroying powerful armed drug cartels operating in South America. Ben, I am excited. Oh, I'm not. Are you not? That's because you haven't heard his co-stars for this, including Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> okay, I'm back on board, baby. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That I completely 180 on that just by hearing that name. I know. Wow. It's not it's Sick. not often you get to see a Tommy Lee Jones film. Imagine if Nick Cage played Tommy Lee Jones' part in Men in Black opposite Will Smith. Oh. On that bombshell, 
I'm going to say goodbye, Daniel. Always a pleasure, mate. Never a chore. Goodbye, Nicholas. Mostly a chore. And goodbye to you all listening at home. Despite all my rage, I'm still hanging out with Nick Cage. See you. See ya.